Welcome to another week here on Cap and Trade. I am your host, Texans Cap. On the bottom left of your device screen, you will see a microphone icon. You can use that to request speaking rights. We have some points of discussion to cover this week, and we'll try to get to as many of your questions as possible throughout the show. As a reminder, this show is recorded and will be redistributed via the Cap and Trade podcast. Thank you again if you're a returning listener, and if you're new, welcome. With that, let's go. All right. Another episode of Cap and Trade here in Twitter Spaces tonight. Joining me, returning guests, Landry Locker and Mike Meltzer. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, sir. You Good know, evening. Yeah, so interesting day. So, you know, I, I was building out the talking points for tonight and the uh, the discussion points on the Indianapolis Colts game got shifted down about a good like 10 bullet points <laughs> like i mean the game was so blah anyway it's really i don't know how much there's to talk about it but the this one you know we'll just jump right into it this morning nick casario interview with uh sean and seth on 610 a lot of good questions from sean and from sean and seth and kind of really brought out some some interesting answers you know i think we saw a little bit different side or different approach from for, from casario when it comes to you know how he's responding to these types of questions, we heard some different buzzwords as we've heard in the past, compared to what we've heard in the past. And you know, the first question—I mean, it's the hot and heavy one—is you know his answer on David Coley's future. I mean, Seth came right out and asked, "Is he uh, is he going to be the coach for the 2022 season?" And you know, it, a majority, I would think majority of GMs would, or anybody who's, you know, the head coach is reporting to would just come right out and just give that vote of confidence right off the spot. So yeah, we're, you know, he's our coach. We're going to move forward with that. But he just kind of avoided the whole, the whole answer kind of avoided the situation. So he didn't really want to talk about it. Didn't want to add any commentary at this time on it. And that's something they'll approach in the off season. And so right off the bat, at least for me, that kind of just paints a non-committal approach for the Texans towards Coley. I kind of want to get y'all's thoughts on that. Well, I think it's, I think it's more up in the air than I originally thought it would be. I, I originally thought David Coley was going to be the coach for two years, but my question is, what's the point uh, at this point? And, and, and I don't even know that there's going to be some home run higher, but I mean, I, I would even be open to letting Lovey Smith hold down the fort for a year or something like that, if you don't feel comfortable in bringing in, like, your ideal guy right now, like if you can't get Josh McDaniels. But I've seen enough of David Coley to know that, and we, we knew this coming in, that David Coley is just not a good NFL head coach. I, I'm actually – I'm putting together a column, and I have a thread. He, he's one of the four worst NFL head coaches uh, of my lifetime. Uh, I think <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw your Twitter thread this evening. <laughs> Jim Tom Sula, Dave Campo, Freddie Kitchens, and David Coley are the four worst coaches of my lifetime. And two out of those three uh, were one and done. Uh, and I think there's a lot of similarities with Jim Tom Sula. And Dave Campo only stayed for three years because that was when Jerry Jones was at his worst. I, I, I don't think Nick Casario is as dumb as Jerry Jones was during that three-year period. So... I'd, my question would be, you know, unless you're just trying to bottom out or you just don't feel comfortable bringing in the guy who you think is going to take you where you eventually want to go, 
what exactly is the point of David Coley being the head coach much longer? Uh, I, I also want to want to talk about a narrative that I know is going to be pushed after, but I'll let Meltz go first on the, on the David Coley thing. I think that cap had a good phrase, which was non-committal. Uh, I don't know that anyone can argue that what Nick Casario said this morning with, with Sean and Seth was anything other than non-committal. I mean, he literally did not commit to David Culley being here in 2022. And I just think about how other GMs would answer that question. And I think, like my, if I were somehow an NFL GM, I'd probably go with a default. Like, listen, this guy's our football coach. He is going to remain our football coach. Like, that is our plan. We're going through a tough season, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but to just kind of put the onus on the Seattle game without even really addressing it does kind of indicate, like Landry mentioned, like, hey, this thing might be up in the air. I just – I keep going back and forth between, you know, like I think David Culley is a waste of time. I, that's what I fundamentally think about him as a coach, that any game that you have with him as a coach is a waste of time. On the other hand, I keep thinking to myself, well, if you fire a coach or even part ways after a year, well, how attractive is the job anyway? But then I go to like San Francisco and now they're in a solid position. But like, I really wonder what it would be like to be in the Bay Area from like 2014 to 2016 when these three things happened. They let, they let Jim Harbaugh walk away. They replace him with Jim Tom Sula. Then he's there for a year. Then they hire Chip Kelly, and he's there for a year. Both complete washouts. And you would think, oh, well, now the organization's in like a hellhole. Well, no, they actually turned around and hired literally the hottest head coach in Canada on the market in Kyle Shanahan. So I think that's where I struggle with. To me, David Culley, no offense to the guy, is a waste of time. I just worry about how attractive this job is considering – situation and limitations yeah and i'm with you on that and i think that the thing that i want to make clear on this because there's going to be a narrative pushed uh and i actually saw one of my buddies clarency hill you know say you know this is a sign of no patience and it's no patience for david coley david there there are a lot of victims of the texans dysfunction i think Deshaun watson was a victim of the texans dysfunction i think deandre hopkins was obviously a victim i think jj watt was uh, I think there's a lot of guys that were victims. He's a beneficiary. Like, just like Dave Campo was, just like Freddie Kitchens was, it, it, no other team was going to hire him to be their head coach. You look at this roster. Like, David Johnson, Rex Burkhead, you can go down. Like, most of these guys would not have these roles that they have here on other organizations. And they benefit from the dysfunction. So, Yes, the talent is bad, but you still need to evaluate coaches with how organized they are, what they bring to the table, how they handle stuff. And he's been bad. And I think Coley has a good enough perspective to where he knows this as well, that he, he is a beneficiary of the dysfunction. He is not a victim of the dysfunction. Yeah, yeah I agree on both y'all's takes. I mean, at this point, getting this whole execution versus scheme that, that Coley keeps touting out there. And it just seems to be contradictory of what we're seeing on the field versus how the coaching staff and everything is approaching things on and off the field. And it just, it, instead of getting better or seeing any kind of marketing marketable improvement week over week, it's the opposite direction. Every week is getting worse and worse and worse. And we saw it today with football outsiders putting out their, their weekly updates yes. and and te the Texans are now not only last in DVO, DVOA with rushing, they're they're worst they've ever seen or worst that they've 
seen since I think 2013, but they're also the worst DVOA on passing offense as well. And so whatever Coley, whatever scheme that he keeps talking about that, that is not the problem and the execution is the problem. It's probably a little bit of both, but that just goes along with my agreeance with, with Mike that you, it's getting worse and I don't see what the benefit is, what he brings to the table regardless of the situation, regardless of the roster situation, regardless of the attractiveness of the job opening in 2022, if it comes about that way, there's really nothing to gain with keeping Coley around. And it seems like there's just more to lose than there is to gain at this point. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, and I, I also wonder uh, schematically, my bad, Melchie, uh, I also about. wonder schematically how merry they are to this offensive system because I – Think, I mean, this is a system that Nick Casario is familiar with. So is he going to bring in a coach that runs a different offensive system, or is he just going to try to find somebody who runs it better? Or does Tim Kelly have some bulletproof vest where he's untouchable as well? Because I do find it interesting. And, and this is really this is really where I just said, all right, I can't deal with David Coley anymore. Um, <laughs> I was relatively patient. But I think the most moronic display that I've, that I've heard at the podium – in my entire time covering the Texans, and this this goes back to anything that Bill O'Brien said, the most ridiculous thing that I've heard a coach say at the podium was, we're evaluating everything. I'm going to look at the tape. we got to figure stuff out. But then 70 seconds after that, he says, the game plan's fine. How the hell are you evaluating anything? You, I mean, how can you say the game plan is fine and the game plan is perfect? That's the most important part of evaluation. That's the most important part of tape, of watching the tape. Oh, wow. Uh, we ran this play when they had nine men in the box. We probably should have done this. Maybe we should approach it this way. If you go up there and you say that, you're either so arrogant and think so highly of your coaching staff that they can do no wrong, you're either clueless or you just can't do a damn thing about it and you can't do anything to Tim Kelly, so you just go up there and blindly defend him. But to say we're evaluating everything, and, 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 but, but then 70 seconds later, before you've even had time to evaluate anything, say our game plan is fine, that's, that's frustrating. That's frustrating as hell. I don't expect yes. you to win or lose, but you can't say you're evaluating and then say the game plan's fine. There's no, there, there's no aspect of life where you can do that. You can't, you can't do that. Like if, if you fail to make a sell or something like that, like if, if you're in sales and you fail to make a sell, and you say, I got to evaluate the way I did it. But the pitch was perfect, you know? The pitch was fine. <laughs> that's so stupid. Like, that's dumb. Like, if a teacher, like, my mom's a teacher. If my mom would have taught her students, and, and, and let's say they went and failed the state tests or whatever like that. If she said, you know, I just got to evaluate how I'm teaching them. But the lesson plan was perfect. That's stupid. That, I, I, I can't deal with stupid. And, and that's, that's what frustrates me. And it leads me to wonder, you know, is Tim Kelly, is, is he just bulletproof? Is David Coley just that clueless? Can he just not do a damn thing? Is it a combination of all three? Is it a combination of two of the three? That's that's one of the silliest, most unaccountable, goofy things that I've heard a coach say after a game. It's really weird and seemingly unnecessary because it would lead to the natural question of like, well, David, if you think that that game plan was good, then what would constitute a bad game plan? I mean, I'm looking at the numbers in this game and you scored no points at home now, granted, I think Indy's better than their record is at 7-6, and six, but still, no points at home, 
You were 3 of 12 on third down. You had 141 total yards of offense. Like, how can you possibly think your game plan was a really good game plan when these are the results? Unless you think your players are, like, the worst ever. And, and keep in mind, like, I understand the Colts were, are, are a good team and they're far better than you are. But if you go back six quarters and not four, like the second half against the Jets, the Jets, who I, I still think are right now 32nd in DVOA defensively, like they couldn't do anything against the Jets defense at home in the second half a week earlier. Like that's against a, a fairly inept unit and you couldn't do anything. Like I just think it's a very easy thing for David Culley, and this is what he should say. It's like, hey, when we've struggled like we have the last six quarters, we got to evaluate everything. We have to evaluate players, coaching, the game plan, because obviously the results are not good enough. And I think if you say that, you're not like bare, you're not throwing anybody under the bus. It's just the reality of a results-oriented business. No points at home over the last six quarters. Uh, that's not acceptable. Like that doesn't work. Yeah, speaking on like scheme and execution, and you know, I was talking to Matt Weston last night, and I think he's on here listening tonight. You know, we he was talking about the offense just seems to get more vanilla each week as we go on. Whereas, like, Lovey Smith on his side of the ball, they started out vanilla on the defensive side of the ball. And as the season has progressed, he's mixed in more stunts, more blitzing, yep. you know, a little more variation in, in what we're seeing on that side of the ball. Whereas Tim Kelly and them seem to be going the opposite direction, running more vanilla-type plays, no, no vertical breaking plays. Not attacking the middle of the field. It just, it seems to be going backwards, and it's just, it to go along with Landry's frustration. I mean, that's that's what the fans are just at. They're, I don't. They're probably already past their breaking point for many folks. But what the product that we're seeing on the field, especially especially on the offensive side of the ball, is just, it's difficult to consume. It's difficult to watch. We see it with the with the amount of fans in our stadium. You, you see the amount of the lower engagement on social media. You see the negative backlash on every social media post that the Texans put out. So it's just, I mean, I think we've, I think we've beaten this one down enough. We, I think we all kind of agree that Coley's probably not going to be around for 2022. And if he is, we don't really see the reason for it well, at this point. I mean, it, the, go ahead. The other thing cap is that, I mean, Lovey Smith was actually a change. Like this offense it was flawed even when Deshaun was saving all butts. I mean, unless he does a spin move and gets kicked in the fucking face and throws a touchdown, um, <laughs> there's, there's, or, or, or just goes Superman against Buffalo, this, this system has already had flaws. You ran it back with Tim Kelly. Lovey Smith's, I mean, that's a, that's, a new, that, that's a new mindset. That's a new thing, and it's paid off. So it, 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 either you're stubbornly committed to this system or – you know, it, it's it shouldn't surprise you because it's it's really the same thing. You didn't really change anything. The other thing that I think is interesting, and this goes to Weston's point, I don't know if maybe it was just a coincidence. I don't know if maybe the Patriots are just peaking now at the right time and they were just a completely different team at the start of the year. But I, for some reason, that what what they were doing against the New England Patriots, whether it was going forward aggressively on fourth down, uh, whether it was the flea flicker, uh, even some of the plays that didn't work uh, that were being called just looked completely different. Maybe there was just a little bit of a chip on the shoulder because you know Casario and company wanted to beat their own team. I, I don't feel like Davis Mills uh, specifically, and I don't think uh, even Tarod 
that that the game plans look anything like what they did against New England. They're, they're, well, that, that was no, they attacked the, they attacked the, the verticals a little bit more in the New England game, if my memory serves so me I, correct. I think, so I, I agree with you guys, but I think it also needs to be cautioned and tempered with if you look at the two games this season where the offense looked somewhat competent, week one against Jacksonville and the game against the Patriots, they both featured the same thing, which was at least two to three kind of wacky plays down the field where the Texans hit a bunch of big plays. Like against the Patriots, they had like one or two crazy catches. The Chris Moore uh, fourth and one. Yeah. Touchdown. The Chris Moore, yeah, like they, and now, like I, I want to say in spirit, I agree with your guys' point that the, the game plan certainly looked more competent. I also think that they hit a couple of plays off schedule that led directly to touchdowns, which I think made everything look a lot better. And now they're not doing like any of that stuff. They're not hitting any of those plays basically whatsoever. Given on that point is. I think another point of discussion on here is is Tim Kelly. I mean, we, it's obvious what his future is. It's, there is no future for him for 2022 here. But does the team should the team continue to allow him to play? Are you positive? Are you sure? I, I agree. I agree with Cap on this. I, I don't think Tim Kelly is around in 2022. No, I. But what I want to ask is, it do you continue to let him call plays for the rest of this year, or do you turn it over to Pep Hamilton? Or is there? I don't know. I don't know that their Pep would have any would be able to install anything different this quickly over five. My answer is you, Kelly's going to stay, keep playing, you know, calling the plays for the rest of the year. I mean, for five games, there's really I don't know what Pep Hamilton can do in five games that is going to be any much more of an improvement from an installation standpoint and the scheme standpoint than what we're going to see in such a short period of time. As long as the I like, logistics of it don't change, then I have no problem with it because I, I, I would like to see Tim Kelly gone. I think in a year in which you're sending a message to a different player each week, you, you wake up every se- Sunday morning and someone's a healthy scratch, I think sending some sort of message that having the offense that the Texans have, regardless of why, and that's not good enough, I, I think it would actually have some value. We always talk about like the locker room and how our players taking things in the locker room. Why is Tim Kelly allowed to continue to call plays here uh, and David Coley go up there and defend him after the offense does what it's done recently? So I, I think just from a from a message standpoint to to the players and to the fans, I think getting rid of Tim Kelly in season would actually be a good thing. And that's assuming that you're not going to confuse Davis Mills. And there's not some sort of logistics that are going to make him basically have to cram extra or do something extra at the end of the season. Man, they could borrow from that Carolina playbook and and uh, and make the make the change on Sunday morning and get it buried into the <laughs> to the news cycle with the yeah. games. That was clever, despite what Matt Rule said. I don't I don't believe that for a second that he tried to get him in there on Saturday. I think that was very clever to do that on Sunday morning. Um, so we'll kind of shift gears a little bit. It sounds like. It sounds like Davis Mills is going to get the start against Seattle. You know, Casario didn't really have much to say on that. He, the fact at the time, and I think some more news has come out since then this afternoon, you know, where it was pretty much confirmed that he had a torn ligament in his left wrist. But this morning, Casario, the fact that he just didn't jump right to the point of, of Taylor being the starter led me to believe that there was a very real, very real chance that Mills was going to re- – rejoin the starters and continue out for the rest of the season. And given that Taylor's 
injury, another another injury added to the list is back on the table, whereas he may not even be available for this week, and the team's going to have to once again change the position designation for Dr- for Driscoll from tight end back to quarterback on the uh, on the roster. So, given that, I mean, even absent of the injury, I mean, do you, are we? What are y'all's thoughts on Davis Mills finishing out the rest of the season? I think it's something that I would do, and I don't think that Davis Mills is the answer because I, I just don't think he has it. But it makes sense where you are organizationally at two and ten. You got five games left. Uh, I, I think the only shot they really have to win is the at Jacksonville game, which I don't think they will win. Uh, there's not like an overwhelming defensive team that I see here, so I think that the the challenge is sort of reasonable. You just need to figure out because, you know, Tyrod's not going to be here next year in 2022. Davis Mills is here for three more years or at least a couple more years. And so I want to get him as many reps as possible just to like, are there flashes? Is there development? Can I take anything optimistic? Even if it's something along the lines of like, hey, Davis Mills might end up being a decent backup quarterback at some point. Like, I I think given how poorly uh, Tyrod played basically almost all the Tennessee game, the Jets game in the second half against Indianapolis, because he's not, he's not under contract, given where you are, I would start Davis Mills the last five. Uh, why the hell not? I mean, <laughs> sure. I, I, I think he might be better than Terod Taylor right now, uh, honestly. So I think the experience and uh, I think the overall effectiveness, I think, I think Terod's just kind of shot. Uh, why not? Let's, let's get a look at Davis Mills. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I think that was a pretty pretty easy answer, pretty easy question to get through. And so we'll keep digging into this Casario interview. There's still some more talking points here I want to take a look at. And I see we got some few requests out there. So just hang tight, folks. We'll get to y'all here in a few minutes. Got a few more at least talking points on the uh, Casario interview I want to dig into. So I, th- I think Lopez brought this up is, you know, he either didn't use or he or he used it very little was the word culture in this interview today. And I think maybe substituted it with attitude and, and other buzzwords. And that was kind of a shift change as well. And I've been kind of hearing rumblings offline that Casario may or may not be fully invested in this culture, rebuild this cult, you know, this, this culture rebuild approach. And, you know, I kind of talked to a few other uh, local guys, just kind of get their opinion on it. And, you know, a few people have heard it. Some people haven't. And then, the fact that Casario was didn't really use that word as much today gives me a little more credence to that thought. So, I mean, is there is that anything y'all picked up on from that from that kind of viewpoint on this interview this morning? I did, uh, and I think I think he's aware. I, I think the one thing that I do like about Nick Casario, uh, outside of his uh, his football brain and when he actually talks ball, is I feel like he's aware. Uh, and he doesn't live in his own little world. I, I don't think he lives in the la-la land uh, that I, I think some people over there would like you to live in. Uh, I, I think he's aware. Uh, he, he kind of indirectly called out the tight end coach for that foolish-ass Lamar Jackson comparison uh, with Jeff Driscoll's athleticism, uh, <laughs> talking about the, the fabrication of that. I very much appreciated that. Uh, and I think he's aware uh, of how – you know, this the, the culture can be over romanticized. And I think he's aware of uh, of most things that a, that a competent, solid GM should be aware of. But I did pick up on that. Uh, he also is not saying right as much. He's not saying again as much. I think he's very aware. I, I picked up on it a little bit. I think Nick 
I think Nick clearly went into that interview with with a mindset of like, okay, this is a very bad situation. We're coming off of a thirty-one nothing loss at home. Like, I got to level with people, and so I think that's when that's kind of where he started talking about like, hey. <laughs> This is a massive rebuild. Like this is going to be hard. We know we're not like so. I think I, I think he intentionally went into like okay. I can't like I've got to I've got to I've got to meet people sort of where they are right here because because it's I can't just stick to talking points given what we've seen like the last six quarters. So I I, I may not uh, put it this way as far as how much stock I put into him not talking about culture. I'll put a little bit, not probably as much as other people, but did I notice it? Yes, I did. No, I definitely. I think he understands. He yeah, understands. he definitely he acknowledged the fans' frustrations and the issues with with the fans' opinion on the team direction, and you know he he used that that term "massive undertaking" a couple different times to tr- to yep. try to drive that point home that hey, we need this is going to take time. This is not going to be an overnight flip of the switch we're gonna you know we're gonna take our time we're gonna get it right we just need you to give us that time you know it it almost makes you kind of want to wish he would come out and say it kind of like the astros did back back when they started this whole piece you know he he was kind of getting there today with it with the massive undertaking description you know maybe be a little little more frank with the fans but it's starting to come around and so i mean it's between the massive undertaking description and then I put another one in quotes here is as someone who oversees the entire football operation. Yeah. Was another one that, that I kind of picked up on. And I don't know if that was a continuing drive point home to try to fade Easterby back into the background even more, or if it's just another reiteration of this is the Casario show. Don't, don't put stock in what you're hearing, you know, or some fans' opinions on on Easterby and what his level of involvement is. This is this is my operation. This is my direction. Give me some time. Massive undertaking, and just let me have that time to get this right. So, I don't know if y'all have any additional thoughts on that. No, I, th- I think you I think you summed it up uh, pretty good. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious because uh, there's only so many things that you can say during the season, and football is kind of like the military. It's not, you know, baseball is treated differently, basketball is treated differently. There's so many games. Uh, football teams are sort of less honest when it comes to like a full rebuild uh, situation. So I'm curious what Nick's tone is going to be in the off season when they start making. You know some significant moves like a Watson trade. When they he start did call it a startup, Mike. He did call it a startup. Yeah, yeah, no, he did. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious. Coming off of this season, what his tone is going to be in the 2022 offseason. I just want to, I just want to hear what that sounds like. He did say the approach was going to be different, which I thought was was nice. I mean, you know, the uh, that Seth asked about the approach to uh, the offseason. Yeah, well, that know, was my like next thing. I was going to dive into. Stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead, Cap. Like he talked about the approach a little bit. Yeah, no, Seth asked a very, very good question. Just basically, point blank, asked him why did you go the route of signing the four, you know, four to six year veteran type player to build out the roster versus going with a heavy undrafted free agent class? And it kind of confirmed my suspicions, my theories on it that they were looking for a locker room b- rebuild. They wanted to bring in that experience to to move towards that type of process versus bringing in a large undrafted free agent class. Whereas you're going to have a bunch of young players who 
don't have that experience, that don't have maybe don't need as much coaching, whereas the coaches can focus more on other aspects of this rebuild versus the actual just coaching up young players. So he, he kind of, without saying it, that's at least that's kind of how I took it is is what the intent was behind that. And then on top of that, it seems like we're going to see a more traditional roster building approach for 2022 and beyond. I don't, there's still going to be a, as he would call it, a volume of transactions just because the team only has 28 players under contract for next year. You know, they'll do future signings in, in January after the regular season. So, you know, you think the team, you know, you're thinking there, the team will be up around 40, 42 players on under contract heading into free agency. So that's still another 48 spots you got to fill out between the draft and free agency and undrafted and the undrafted class. So I think given that and given what he was saying this morning, I think you're going to see just a, a, a more traditional type where he's going to sign, you know, he may sign a, a wave one guy. We'll kind of see in free agency, but I think he'll stick with wave two and wave three of free agents and then just go through the draft, depending on how many draft picks he ends up with. If, you know, if Watson gets traded, maybe Tunsil gets traded and may has a bevy of draft picks. So overall, just all that, I think you're going to see a little tradition, a little more traditional roster building strategy going forward. Yeah, I, I definitely hope so. I mean, I, I don't want to be too negative on a Tuesday night here, but I, I, I just vehemently disagreed with the way that Nick. Asterio What's the difference between Tuesday and the other six days? What do you mean? I don't know. I just, I sometimes, what are you, I what are you even feel, saying? I sometimes <laughs> feel bad when I'm negative with cap. Like I'm like, you know, this is how I feel, but I don't, I don't want to make him feel bad. So I, but I, I just, listen, I, don't, I, don't I, spare me, Mike, you come on, just lay it out, man. <laughs> So what if I, it was Friday? Like we, we were I mean, if, Friday, if if I if I, I if I'm going to get the full fledged Michael <laughs> experience, and I'll do this on yeah. Friday if that's what we need to do. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, I <laughs> vehemently disagree with the way that Nick Casario handled the 2021 offseason. I think it. I think it has contributed to a lot of these games, which have frankly been, especially like Sunday, a waste of time. Now, I listen. I, I understand some of the philosophical underpinnings of it. I think that. What he was trying to do is, is a little bit similar to what the Patriots did 20 years ago when they brought in like Anthony Pleasant, Roman Pfeiffer, Brian Cox, all those different kind of guys to kind of establish a culture. I just think that he overdid it. I think especially at the running back position, what he did didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Do I think it kills the franchise? No, of course not, because they're going to be bad anyway. I just think especially when it comes to the – like this would what I would have done this year with the Texans is exactly what the Miami Dolphins did two years ago. Where they basically took they basically took that year and Cap can explain it better than I can, but to basically like completely wash away the cap sheet, wash away the bad contracts, and start completely fresh into 2019 for Miami, where they nearly made the playoffs. That's what I would have used 2021 for. I think that like I, I understand that Casario was talking about it being a startup, although I'll, I'll point out that was at the Sloan conference. It wasn't like a, a huge media thing like other things are. I think they actually thought they could be like a six to eight win team if all things broke right. And so I disagreed with their approach this offseason. And I hope that you guys are right that it is a substantially different approach, more of a normal rebuild in 2022. I think we also do got to kind of and look, I, I'm not I'm not making excuses, but the situation that he came into was not ideal like I, I don't the the Deshaun Watson stuff came out like after he was hired uh that that, that Deshaun wanted to trade so 
I, I do think that with how wild the offseason was, with all the extra, the drama and all that, um, I, I, I do think we got to kind of give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt uh, in year one because I don't think it really mattered. As, as soon as we knew that Deshaun Watson wasn't going to play here and then a month later we knew that they weren't going to get anything or have anything to show for Deshaun Watson – I think it kind of wiped things away because even when Deshaun first demanded a trade, hell, we were talking about the Jets. We were talking about, you yep. know, is this team going to trade for him and stuff? So I do think the combination of Deshaun being pissed off uh, because of uh, the Easter Bee thing or whatever you want to say it, uh, it is, and then Deshaun not being tradable because of the, the news uh, dropping of the allegations, I think that did kind of make this like a meh year. We, I mean, because – in, a, in an ideal world, you trade Deshaun Watson, you have, you know, who knows how many young guys to look at, and it's just a different situation. It almost became just like a wash-away year. Yeah, I, I just – where I get frustrated, and I don't, I don't want to, like, beat the dead horse on this, but, like, the, the Shaq Lawson thing plus the restructure, the Anthony <laughs> Miller trade, like, I just – it just – to me, I, I would have approached the 2022 salary cap as if it was almost untouchable. So where unless I got like a real like a real gem that I could somehow get in free agency or maybe via a trade, like someone who I thought, boy, I can't believe this guy's available. It makes sense for where we are as a startup, as a rebuild. I would have not touched the 2022 cap situation, that cap space. I would have treated that like gold because ultimately like this roster is in the kind of shape where like they're better off losing games because they need to start adding cornerstone players through the draft. And to do that, you want to pick as high as possible. Yeah, the McKinney seemed like it was on a tee. Like, it did seem like, oh, you released McKinney, you say, what was it, 8 million cap? Yep. Yeah, around there. Yeah, it just seemed like that was just like, a, oh, there's there's a gift. Uh, and then he canceled it out yes. or even made it worse with Shaq. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And the, 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 the amount of restructures on top of the yes. amount of signings was, was you know, they they had to do it if that's what the approach they were going to take when they signed that many players the the restructures you know it helps them from a cash standpoint helps to keep the cash spending up this year so they continue continue that pace on for the next three years so you know like I said we'll see what happens in 2022 you know one other point here from Casario was kind of a non-committal once again to uh, to Laramie Tunsil and. I've said it for a couple of weeks now. I don't think Tunsil is going to take another snap this year. There's there's absolutely nothing to gain from for him personally or for the team at this point for him to be back on the field this year. You you just keep him on IR and continue your continue your evaluation of Titus Howard at left tackle. And I kind of got the same impression from Casario. I mean, you know, they're going to, they're sticking with it. it's a day to day process. You know, but one thing that came out of the the Coley presser as well was, you know, him saying it, not only they're following the medical advice, it's a personal decision with Tunsil. Yeah. And that was, he said a combination. He said a combination of it all. He also said two weeks before that, probably one of the most under the radar, funny things was that Laramie was learning about whether he was going to wear a cast or not. <laughs> oh, when he, when they, they couldn't work out or not. Cause he didn't have a cat. Yeah. In, yeah, in, and he's like, we got to figure out if he's going to wear a cap. What are you talking about, man? That's that's like a process. Yeah, no. I, are we? I mean, do, uh, y- do y'all con- think we see Tunsil again this year? No, uh, no, and I don't think we should under any circumstance, regardless of what 
what what what what you take into account. I don't think we should. I am curious. Are you guys confident that Nick Casario will maximize whatever return there is for Laramie Tunsil? And what is the value? Like we see a lot of teams with lousy offensive lines. I think. Uh, I don't want to make a personal attack, but I think Laramie Tunsil is a player who is like an anti-culture player. Laramie Tunsil it, it exists on a football team to pass, protect, and collect paychecks. Now, no, no, and that very- yeah, Laramie Tunsil, Laramie Tunsil is almost like too smart to be a like a culture guy. Like he's he's yeah. a he's a smart like, like he's a real smart business guy. I don't think he's like a I love football guy. Uh, you hear about him talking about stuff outside of business. He basically hoodwinked bill o'brien and jack easterby with the negotiation of that contract uh that's what the irony of the of the whole laramie tunsil thing is is that the worst trade that this organization one of obviously the hopkins is different but even with the hopkins trade like you could look at that and say oh god tough smart dependable right kind of guy etc they like David Johnson, this type of guy. That, not to say that that's the worst trade in history. But with Tunsil, you traded all these things and you brought in a guy that is like, I, I don't think, like when I see Laramie Tunsil for the time that I've seen him and I think Bill O'Brien, I just don't think of that as even a Bill O'Brien type of guy. Yes, I agree. That's the That's what the irony is parts. of the whole Tunsil thing. Yeah, yeah it's it's. He's very he's very business very business savvy outside of football. He's big into fashion. He's got his mind on some other things outside of the outside of the league, and so he's very good pass blocker. He's a middle of the middle of the pack run blocker. So is you know he's he's still a very good tackle. It's just not not a, a his performance not overall good. is not in line with his pay. But what's his value? That's yeah, what that I was going to get to next. Was yeah. You know what's his trade value? Is it a? My opinion is probably an early two, maybe a late one. I think one, it's a two, I but think I think it's, it's I probably a say, two because gonna, a. I was going to say a two and change, but yeah, they're going to have to they're going to have to sign him to a deal too. Exactly, he's got two years left at at I think thirty six thirty six point three million over the next two years, and so on top of that, after one year of having him, you're going to have to sign him to another extension, if not earlier. He's going to want top dollar again. So any team that's going to give up draft capital for that is going to have to factor all that in and be willing to take that on. I think that's fair because with the, it's one thing to say, is a guy worth a first-round pick? Like, it, it, even though I'm kind of disparaging Laramie Tunsil, like having a really good pass-protecting left tackle in the NFL, that's a premium position. So that sort of in a vacuum is worth a one. But I also kind of want to frame it as, is a team willing to give up their only first round draft pick in 2022 for Laramie Tunsil? Like that, that's the question. And I am with you guys. Like, <laughs> I think, it, I think it's probably more of like an early two kind of situation. We've got a bunch of teams in this draft that, that have multiple first round picks. I kind of wonder like what they might do with their twos, but yeah, I, I would set my expectations at a reasonable level. Like, I don't think you're getting, if I had to bet my life on it, you're probably not getting a one back for Laramie. Yeah, I agree. I think we're all in the same range. I think it's a two, and maybe you can get a day three pick too. But it's that's I'm I'm with both of you guys on that. That's yeah, that's two where, or a um, swap of day three picks or something like that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So, um, got some other stuff we'll get to, but I want to jump over. I've had some folks that have been sitting and waiting for a while, so we'll get some to get to some questions here. And if you don't want to ask your question, you know. 
if you don't want to speak on here, you can. My DMs are open. You're more than welcome to send me a DM with your question. I've already had a couple come through. You know, we hit on uh, Ryan Crossingham's question. He had asked about tonsil trade values, so we'll jump over here. We'll go to uh, veteran listener Chuck. Hopefully, he keeps it under ten minutes. <laughs> Chuck, what's up, man? Hey, good evening, gentlemen. How are we all doing? We're doing great on C for Tuesday. <laughs> Outstanding. Hey, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that um, y'all brought up Casario. I kind of jumped in the middle here, but Landry hit on the head. I mean, I think Nick Casario, I- I'm going to be totally honest. I'm a total Casario supporter with this team, and I'll tell you why. Because I, I, you nobody could have predicted, and you still can't predict, the Watson thing. If you were to come over, he was supposed to come over uh, a while back. As we know, he would have had Watson. As I think, Mike, you might have brought up something about uh, the way they reconstructed uh, the Patriots. But I believe, if I'm mistaken, when they brought in those other veteran players to to reload, I believe they had Bledsoe. Is that not correct? Yes. So yes. if they had Bledsoe, and Bledsoe was a bona fide uh, Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, and who knew what they were getting out of Brady, the, it's all about the quarterback. So when Casario comes over here, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and go on the limb on this as well. I really don't think – I think today you're seeing a change in the guard, and I'll tell you why. Because I firmly believe that there's two to tango on this. Everybody is blaming Casario for these moves, bad contracts, renegotiation. That's got Jack Easterby. That's got uh, ownership all over it too. Hey, we got to get rid of this guy. I really firmly believe that Nick Casario did not want – you can't deal with Johnson, but I guarantee you that – they all say, well, uh, we need to keep this guy. So he did the best he could with the contract. You know, he massaged it. He kept him around like he did. Uh, or maybe that's why they want to keep McKinney. McKinney was around for forever for no reason. Overpaid, just like Zach Cunningham. So he sat around. So he did the best he could. He said, well, if I'm going to pay that contract, let's try to work something out. That's what I think. I think what you're seeing here is a change in the guard. I don't think uh, if you – I'm going to ask you guys to just kind of think about this. I think you know the answer to it. But who's going to be here long term? Is Nick Casario going to be here longer or Jack used to be? I think right now you're probably seeing, and somebody, one of you guys brought up military. I'm military. I just retired, senior enlisted leader for 400 people. There are three people in charge of a battalion all the way down to a squad. You have the enlisted guy, which is like the GM. Then you have the executive officer and the commanding officer. Well, Easterby is obviously the, the XO, but at the end of the day, the senior enlisted guy or the general manager runs a ship. And when stuff starts going to hell in the handbasket, they go to the GM. All right. So what I'm thinking is with this so-called culture, I think he was a good soldier. And at the end of the day, uh, when you see all these things transpiring, you're right. Nick does have the pulse. He has the pulse, right? He goes on the talk shows. He talks to you guys. He is one of the most active people in that organization, if not the only one. So he knows what's going on. I think, to be honest with you, that the, the, the ears start to bend a little bit. And I think Kyle McNair is starting to understand that, well, maybe I should listen to my GM, who we wanted a few years ago, than somebody that's a hanger-honor or the little finger of this whole Game of Thrones episode we're watching <laughs> right in front of us, right? So honestly, I think that you're seeing this. I think Nick Casario is on, is on a different trajectory right now. And I'll go back to, we talked about this at the trade uh, deadline. I was adamant. I think I talked to Cap about it. I said, man, let, why, we can't, why don't we just go ahead and move uh, a Taylor while we can? You know, get a six for him, a fifth. Get him out of here. And, and Tunsil, who cares? We should have moved him a while back. And I bet you anything else, 
I, I really think that Nick Casero is thinking, you know, we're not in a good trajectory right now to, to do anything. Why can't we move these guys? And I think right now we're starting to see this. I think, um, unfortunately, Coley is in the middle. Stretch Armstrong, he's he, you know, he's he's not going to do anything else except be the be the puppet for the puppet master. And going back to Pep Hamilton, who the hell wants to run this offense? Why do you want your fingerprints on it? I think Pep Hamilton is probably the smarter of the of the whole bunch. Is says, you know what? I'll just <laughs> stay back here and watch this unfold. I mean, that's just my whole uh, uh, thought process on this. But you know, I, I think I, I I believe in Casario. Uh, I know there's been some questionable decisions, but I really don't think he had everything on the pulse until this past couple of weeks. That's my opinion. And I appreciate the time. Thank you. Man. Thanks, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. Landry. I don't know anything about little finger and I remember stretch Armstrong, but that's, you didn't watch <laughs> you game of Thrones. Have. Hell no. Oh. Landry's not Landry's not Landry is, is, is that's beneath him. <laughs> oh, okay. He's, uh, he's one of them people. Okay. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think Landry's big into animated stuff, but in, in all seriousness, uh, I, I know that Chuck has been a big Casario guy, and I'm not. I'm not anti Nick Casario. I'm kind of in the middle. I like. I, I, let me put it this way: if Chuck's uh, thought or version of events is true, that would trouble me even more than I'm troubled now. Because like you're, pay, you're you hired a GM on a six year deal, paying them you know six million a year, wherever they're paying them, and you would basically outsource the first off season to a culture guy and the ownership. Like that. That that to me would be illogical, and then. Casario starting to gain power now. Like I just, I, I don't know that the, that's a realistic read. Now, do I think in some of the like nuances of it, do I think that maybe there was some pressure from Easterby or ownership on the David Johnson front? Yes, I think that's a real possibility. But to me, I, when they when they hired Nick Casario, this is his ship, and I absolutely believe that this off season, this past off season, was that was his off season for twenty twenty one. That was his doing. I think I think that I don't think he could have could have done anything about Easterby, and I don't think it was even negotiable for Easterby to get fired uh, when Casario got here. Furthermore, I don't know that he even wanted that to happen. But you do have a visual of the impact and the trust issues uh, with the organization. I mean, Cal McNair and them are going to the stadium every day. Uh, they see what it looks like. They can feel the lack of buzz. Uh, and, and Nick Casario is quite honestly spending more time with Jack Easterby in this role. I, I equated it to John Lopez. John Lopez was at the Houston Chronicle for 17 years. If someone just showed up to the Houston Chronicle and let's say he was just a low level editor uh, for six years of the 17 that John Lopez worked at the Chronicle. And then that guy goes to a different job and Lopez goes to enjoys uh, him at that company. Lopez is going to eventually roll his eyes when that guy's romanticizing Chronicle Tales and all that type of stuff. I think eventually Nick Casario is going to figure out that Jack Easterby is full full of shit, uh, which he is. Like I know, I know you roll your eyes, Cap, but he's full of shit. Like it's it's <laughs> no disrespect. You've heard you've heard, you've you've heard the, like the contract stuff and like that. And I think Cal McNair is getting more of a visual. And I'm not saying that Nick Casario could fire Easterby now if he wants, but I think he has because we've talked about his grasp, I think he has more of a grasp of where the fan base is. Uh, he has more of a grasp of what Easterby does and how it was done before. And I think it's easier for him to evaluate that. Because I think getting rid of Easterby would have actually been a bad move if Nick Casario would have done it immediately. I think it would have been a bad move because I think Easterby probably keeps so much stuff close to the hip, like a lot of bad bosses do. And, you wouldn't have known where the hell to start and where to figure out how things were done before 
uh, if you'd gotten gotten rid of him immediately. I don't think Easterby's here uh, two more years, and and I think that I think that there's actually a chance that we could see Jack Easterby gone this off season. I'm really starting to believe that. Yeah, I can I can I can get along with that. I, it seems like it's starting to trend that way. Maybe we'll have to see if that holds course, but you know. We'll it see what happens. To, it, it, it probably does. To. It probably does. I mean, it like we like we've been talking about where he Casario has a, a pulse on the fan base, and he's starting to really see what this fan base can bring and and what the expectation is for this team going forward. And it's pretty adamant a large large piece of the fan base does not think that that should include Easterby. So, I mean, do you think Bryce Young would come here? Like honestly, like because I, you, I, I don't. you've been on this thing about. Yeah, Landry's been all you, over you've this. You've been yes. over this for like three months <laughs> that you're just adamant that that a top tier quarterback is not going to come to Houston. Yeah, I, and, and I I don't I truly don't think so. Hey, hey, uh, that's great, and, and I truly and I and I truly think that especially that one. Like if the Texans had the number one pick in 2023, Bryce Young, who knows who his agent will be? Maybe he'll hire Mulligetta. Uh, it seems like most guys do. But with his relationship with Bill O'Brien, if Easterby is still here, I you think O'Brien's going to soil him. Here. You think he's going to spoil him on the Texans? What do you think? I mean, I, you don't mm, think he's going to? No, I I still I, think there's still a level of professional respect out there. I uh, between, I, I, between maybe Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby. Oh, I don't know about it. Easterby, I was going to say between the Texans and, and O'Brien or maybe between Texans and, and Casario because I don't think the relationship uh, – I, mean, I know the relationship between Easterby and O'Brien is not good. But Well, I, 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 here's my take. I, I, I simultaneously agree with Landry's concern but also disagree with the concern. And here's what I mean by that. Like, So the idea – so Landry's thesis basically – and I don't want to speak for Landry, but it's like, hey – if this Texan situation remains this bad, Bryce Young will refuse to come here. And I think that that's a valid concern. My thing is, I, I think it's important to, to frame it. Like, it's not like suddenly, you know, Bryce, the, the Texans will have the number one pick. Bryce Young is going to be out there and, and he just goes, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to agree to sign with this team. Like, that's going to be a whole long process. Like, if they're in a position to draft Bryce, think about how much hype Bryce Young is going to have heading into the 2022 season. Like, it's not going to be like 2021 in college. It's going to be like 2020 with Trevor Lawrence. Like, it's going to be a whole long deal. It's going to be like if the Texans internally have any sense that Bryce Young would not come there, they would get inklings of that for a long time. It wouldn't just happen on like some random day in February or March of 2023. Why does it matter what day it is? Why does it matter what I, day it is? Because I, I just think that if they're if they're that bad in 2022, which is a distinct possibility as we know, and there's one obvious candidate to be on the board, like I, I think there got there have to be a lot of discussions between ownership and Casario about like, okay, if there's one obvious guy at number one and this is clearly the guy, like put, put it this way. There are there were reports last year, not surprisingly, that when the Jets beat the Rams, there were people in the Jets building that were devastated because it meant that they were going to lose Trevor Lawrence. So presumably, like there were discussions about Trevor Lawrence, they knew who he was. Like that was a thing that they were thinking about. I, I imagine the same thing if the Texans are. I, I don't that care if it year. happens tomorrow. I, I don't care. What, what, why does when it happens matter? Because my thing is, if Cal McNair sees that happening, if he sees it in like November next year, hey. I could be left at the altar by this generational prospect. 
I need to do something with my organization. Like at least he would have some warning to make significant changes to ensure that doesn't happen. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. I just don't see how you guys can't even like think that that might be a possibility. No, it's a possibility. I agree. It's a possibility. I mean, it's never happened that a 25 year old quarterback in his prime wanted out of an organization. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's, it, I think it's a very strong possibility. Like, do, do you, you think Mulligan is just like cool with the Texans? I'm just asking. Like, do you think he's cool? I, I don't know because I think Cap might have a better answer because if you're an NFL agent, you only have 32 employers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and you have clients that are not just Deshaun Watson and like Justin Fields. You have guys who are much lower on the totem pole who just need jobs. Look, I'm not saying that if, that you can like that that maybe you know it's undraftable, but I mean like. It, you think Mulligetta, when he talks to the Texans, if he has a guy who is Bryce Young, and you just talked about how good he is, do you not think he's going to at least tell them, look, I would rather you guys not draft my guy. Like, I, I would rather that not happen. You're basically, because to me, if 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 it's if that's what you're doing, you, you might as well, like, be BYU or Stanford or something like that, because you're limiting, like, the the – the pickings that you have of players like you have limitations talent wise in the talent that you can bring in all right let me let me phrase it this way for you then if he is bona fide number one overall pick are you do you think an agent is willing to tell his player let's let's lose out on this opportunity for you to be the number one overall draft pick yeah to go now it feels it feels yeah if I do you think it's it, happened well. it's happened okay. it, it's happened and this is a much this is a much more players that they have nil like who knows how much millions Bryce Young's gonna make uh, uh, the Texans like if if Easterby is still here I I I one hundred percent do and and furthermore like I, agent or not if Bryce Young were my son. I would, I would, I would pull an Odell Beckham Jr.'s dad on steroids, and I would put out a video of the Texans and say, "Don't draft my effing son." Like, but my, I don't but care Landry, if it's my, the agent. I don't care Landry. if it's the son. I don't care if it's the player. I, I would not look. This hurts me to say. I want to cheer for Bryce Young, but if Jack Easterby is there and you have all these issues and you have all this drama, no. I, from any perspective, I would not want to be a Texan. Bryce Young my, would not want to be a Texan with where they are right now. If this, if Jack Easterby is still here, I wouldn't want him to. If you were my son, and that from an agent perspective, and from his advisors, like who do you think this guy talks to? What what do you think players around the league are saying about the Texans? Like what what do you think Bryce Young's Alabama teammates like are are, are saying about the Texans? Like what do you think? My, I, I'm sure. But, but, I'm but, sure. But it's, Landry, I'm sure. In theory, it, it's easy for them to say, "Yeah, you don't want to go play there. You don't want to go play there." But I, I just have I just have I just have problems thinking that he's willing to turn down that opportunity to be the number one overall draft pick just to avoid the team. But if you, like if I you said, maybe Bryce- it's me. Maybe I'm too naive. I don't know. I just I I can't. I I I will admit that it is a possibility. To me, it's an extremely low possibility. If you're Bryce Young's dad, you know your son is going to go number one come hell or high water next year, barring something really catastrophic. What bad NFL team do you want to go to? Any team but the Houston Texans at this point. Name a specific one. Like Lions? Yes. Why not? They got. Okay. I mean, why not? They, they seem to have a good thing going right now. Dan Campbell seems like a hell of a guy. They have a lot of they have, they have a strong coaching staff. 
they they have they, they seem to have like some some good things going on there. There's some good vibes. Yes. All right, yeah. so Landry's going to go with the 60 years of failure, but I got it. No, I I, they, it's they an like easy Campbell, fix. Look, look, it's an easy yes, fix. Wait, yes, it is an easy fix. It just whether it works. It is an easy fix. Yeah, we'll have to I wait agree. and see if it happens. <laughs> I just don't. I don't want there to be a situation where when we talk about this culture and stuff, like either that happens or they just completely wipe guys away. That, but because they don't think those guys would like this situation or buy into it, I, I, I want you, I, I want to get to a get to a place where you're buying into players a little bit. Like there's some sort of give from yes. the organization, or there, or there's a full, there's a full array of options. I want a full array of options, and I want a little bit of give to talent over this guy checks these boxes, personality wise. That's all I want. Easy enough. That's it. That's a, that's a. That, we'll, we'll we'll see if we can get that for you, Landry. So, run run out of time. We got a few more things. Hopefully, hopefully we can kind of rapid fire these. So, do you think we'll kind of shift? We'll kind of shift gears here to the roster a little bit. So, Zach Cunningham, you know, paid suspension this week. Do you think he? remains inactive for the rest of the year do you think he'll be back on the active roster at least be on the game day roster with limited snaps what do you think we see out of him just quick answer i mean he shouldn't be if if he's if he's if if he's not going to be back next year he shouldn't be because he has that jalen smith eight or nine million dollar guarantee you know that better than i ten million dollar injury guarantee all right so no he shouldn't be I would say I don't know. Yeah, I mean that that injury. Like, what does that require though? Doesn't that require him to basically have a, have an injury that caused him to miss all of next season? Or would, am I wrong on that? It guy? would be where he cannot pass a physical at the start of the new league year. Okay. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty. To me, I, I understand there's like a you got to be sort of conservative on it, but I, I guess if I had to bet, I'll say he'll he'll be on a, on, a, on an active roster. I, I think so too. I think it'd just be a very very. Uh, Limited. Very limited snap count. And let's see here. So we had a question about foundation pieces and what are the three what are the three positions for foundation building for a roster? You know, to me it's tackle, quarterback, obviously, and then combo between either edge rusher and cornerback. And then on top of that it, I want to wanted to get y'all's thoughts on are there who are the foundational pieces on this roster at this point in time? I know there's no clear cut <laughs> like this is the guy that you can build around, but are there any pieces that you can see that are worth like this is a guy we need to really focus on, continue our development like Nico Collins, Roy Lopez, maybe a Brevin Jordan, but is there any like just really good pieces on this roster in your opinion at this point in time? Actually, I'm not going to say really good, but I'll say this. Uh, Titus Howard has potential left tackle, and if I were Nick Casario, I would absolutely 100% pick up his option for 2023 yep. uh, in this offseason. It's $12.7 million, is, yeah. Because I think he has the raw talent to be a foundational player. I don't think anybody else does. Like a true foundational player at a premium position. Yeah, just put him at left tackle and quit messing with it. Yep. Yep, that's... Exactly it. I mean, at least at least use the next five games to to help you make that decision. All right. So, man, we hit a hit a bunch of stuff that hit a lot <laughs> of Casario stuff. That was great, though. So, Nay 
We're going to let him talk. He swears them down. He's got a good question, so let's hope he doesn't disappoint us. We, we'll let this be the closeout question. Oh, we're closing out? We're not, we're not going extra? What's the deal? Why do you hate the people? I don't hate the people. It's... <laughs> You know, you know how I am. I'm an old man. School night. Nay, go ahead, man. What you got? What's your good question? I got, I got kind of two questions for you. Well, the first one, I don't want to, I don't want to tick off Landry too much, but I've seen so many changes at this running back position, uh, bringing Philip Lindsay, bringing in Mark Ingram, then releasing both of those guys, and one person that we never see move is David Johnson. Do you think? Uh, Easterby could somehow have his little fingers in there, kind of out of spite, keeping David Johnson on this roster to kind of validate that Hopkins trade. And also, um, I think we all agree that the offensive coordinator needs to change. So with guys like uh, Josh McCown, Joe Brady, and the person everyone forgets about, uh, Eric Bieniemy, who would you guys pick as the OC? Well, I don't know that Bieniemy would come over as OC. I think he's going to be be on that uh that head head coaching carousel once again for 2022 so i'm not sure that he would take a, a lateral move like that especially going from kansas city to houston that would have to be a big sales job on the texans yeah. part with along with a, a big a big paycheck but you know joe brady kind of went backwards this year i mean he you know a little talent deficiency there with sam darnold but i don't know if he's going to head back to the to the college landscape or maybe he's just going to have to kind of reset take a quarterback coach kind of job and then kind of reset and work his way back up the ranks. I, you know, if, if he's still, if it's somebody on Casario's radar for offensive coordinator next year, then, you know, I'm happy for the team to take a look at it. You know, I think, you know, we talked about earlier with the head coach, head coach position potentially opening up and obviously the offensive coordinator, that's going to be your two biggest coaching staffs shakeups more than likely. And, assuming lovey and his majority of his staff sticks around i don't really i haven't really dug into any potential coordinator you know replacements for next year we you know, this this kind of just popped up on my radar with kelly you know definitely not being back next year and well i just kind of have to wait till the offseason i haven't really dug in to really think about who's a potential coordinator type player that they could Josh ain't coming back. No, Josh ain't coming no, back. no. I, I think I actually, I actually have a theory on that. Okay. I actually think Josh, uh, I actually think Josh took a year off with Doug Peterson and I think he'll come back and be on Doug. Peterson's oh, staff. I heard that one. Yeah. Mm. I heard that one. And I think that I, cause, cause Doug Peterson actually let him kind of be like an extra coach. And I think he even like called plays in a preseason game or something like that. So I think McCown realized how much of a disaster this was. He kind of got thrown to the wolves uh, with the courtesy interview, which I thought was ridiculous. Uh, but I think I think Josh is going to come back to coaching when Doug Peterson gets his next job, and I think he'll have a uh, either quarterback or even OC job for uh, Doug Peterson. By the way, I would absolutely hire Doug Peterson as my coach. I know the people in Philly. Like I have many friends who are Eagle fans who think who think he's a dope, and I think they're idiots for that. Like this guy's a Super Bowl winning head coach. I'd hire him. I agree with uh, with Nay about David Johnson. I don't have any answer about the offensive coordinator because I, I candidly need to know who the head coach would be before I can give like an educated answer on like what pool I'm picking from. All right, Nay, was that your questions? You good? That is it. Appreciate you guys. All right, thank you. Take him off of here. Remove the speaker. Yep. All right, Quincy. Since Landry is already getting mad at me for for not. Taking all the questions. 
you hate the people, Cap. I don't hate the people. Quincy, go ahead and take yourself off mute, man. What you got? Oh, what's up, man? Hey. Um, hey. Man, I was I was watching the – well, I was actually um, at the game um, this past week. So you were, you were one of the five people there. All right. It was crazy. I've never seen it that dead. So I was I was thinking in my head, I was like, I know there's been times where, like, other teams, like, historically, I mean, teams are going to be pretty bad. Like, Cleveland was bad forever. Uh, I know San Diego was bad for it. But, you know, there's been teams in New Orleans – but I was – I don't know if I'm old enough to know, like, what um, that fan reaction as far as, like, attendance was and, like, those those particular, like, situations, like, those rebuilds, whatever teams were, like, really, really bad. And I know here in Houston, like, all my family, like, they've been tailgating at the Texans games for forever. Even when the Texans were bad, not this bad, but, like, whenever they were bad, you know, they would still go out there, have a good time, you know, kick it team would lose but it's all good but it's like now it's like dead dead it was like it was crazy how dead it was so i was thinking like do you guys think like it's gonna be like a real bounce back as far as like the fan reaction like once the draft comes around they get a new quarterback maybe 2023 like i guess that that reconciliation that the fans have with the team um just like what you what do you think about that? And do you think it's going to be like an easy fix to gain that trust back with like the people, the people in the city? I, I think that is an excellent, yeah. excellent question. I, I'm going to say that's a great question. I, I'm going to say first of all, it's not going to be easy. Uh, I, I, I am kind of curious. Like, let's say they trade Watson, get a bunch of picks. They draft one guy in in like the top two or three who is kind of a headliner going into next season. Like, you can sell that guy. Uh, I think the atmosphere next year might be slightly better only because of the intrigue factor of seeing some young players. But like, if you're asking me, Hey Mike, like fill in the blank, the next really, the next good Texans crowd will be on this in this year. Like, I don't know how to fill in that blank because maybe it's, you know, landing a really good quarterback prospect, you know, a year or two down the line. But I I think that's a really hard question to answer. I'm, I'm really curious what Landry thinks about that. I'm 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 wondering, you know, what they decide to do. Like, I I wonder how many people that are still out there are, are just gonna ha- already have David Coley fatigue. You know, like are like if you bring back David Coley, or they're just gonna be people put off by that. <laughs> uh, I think uh, like the uh, the the young talent I think will help. I think I think the build up to the draft is going to be phenomenal. I think it's going to be an exciting off season. But as far as the apathy and the trust issues, I, I don't know how you get rid of those um, at the snap of a finger. I, 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 I think there's one thing that could maybe like somewhat build it up. I won't I won't mention it, but I, I just think that I, I, I don't know that it's going to be as easy, but I do think there will be a, a certain level of excitement for the draft. It is unfortunate, though, that there's not necessarily really a quarterback that you look at and say, you know, this is the guy that I would that could be the uh, the face of the franchise. And if they take Pickett, then I'm out. I'm not going to any games. Anymore. What if? Uh, well, how about this? What if they? What if that they fake slide. Pick? That fake slide disgusted oh, okay. me. Okay, comes well, the well, old man. What about this though? What if they <laughs> trade Deshaun and they and they take like a top defensive end and then take Pickett with their second first round pick. Would, would that upset you? No, here's what they do. They trade Deshaun, they get a full haul and then they, tra- they actually trade Deshaun to Philly. And in return, they get 
four firsts, three seconds, and Gardner Minshew, and it's Minshew Mania for a year. Sign okay. me up, baby. That would be fun. Sign me up. That would be fun. I, I don't mind that. What if they take a quarterback out of, like, necessity? Like, they just force the whole Matt, Matt Corral thing. Like, they force it. And then, no, I don't know how much you have to force it. I, I could see Corral being like a second-round pick almost at this but point. But I'm saying, like, know. what if they take him and then, like, they suck again and, th- and then they take Bryce Young top of the year next year? Yeah, you keep – you keep, yeah, <laughs> you, you keep taking – if, if you want a Rosen – if you want a Rosen – Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, okay yeah, unless Corral just completely lights it up, it would take – it would take something just dramatic to happen to bypass the opportunity – for Bryce Young, but if if that opportunity is there in twenty twenty three, then you've got to take it. I mean, I don't, I don't care what's going to happen. So that's a that's a great question, Quincy. I appreciate it, man. I you know, and for my answer on that, it's going to take time. Winning cures, winning cures all. Maybe some, maybe a change at the uh, the vice president of football ops might might help ease the way with fans on that. See, now you're bringing it up. I know. I wasn't going to. Wow, he's been converted. This is amazing. I didn't. I'm, I didn't say I was on board with it. I just said that's what it needs might happen. Uh, that's what it said. I, I sense a changing of the minds here, just a little bit. You can feel it in the air, Cap. All right, must be a Tuesday. It is a Tuesday. Must be a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> it is a Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, if that's what needs to happen, then that's what needs to happen. And and if that's the like we talked about in the beginning, if Casera's got that pulse, and that's you know maybe. Maybe Cal just maybe they create another job title for him and just get him further away from <laughs> from football ups. I don't know, but it's it at the end of the day, it's going to be winning winning games. It's going to cure all, and that's going to bring back the fans. You know, draft, free agent signings, that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll have it's going to be a next like Landry says, going to be another exciting off season. We're going to see a large volume of transactions. We're finally going to see a draft again where the Texans are picking on day one, might have multiple God, picks on fun. day one, finally not sitting around till, you know, the back half of day two or something like that. So I think all of that, once the regular season's over, get through the playoffs, get past the Super Bowl, have that little break between the Super Bowl and the start of free agency. And I think – I don't know what percentage of fans will be back more involved. There'll be a – It'll be a small percentage of fans based on how free agency goes leading up to the draft. If free agency goes well, maybe they make one big splash signing, and then it will kind of signify that they're, the team's ready to go and get back going in the right direction. And I think that'll kind of be the start of building back the fan base. But the the time that we see a, a, sol, a sold-out stadium again may not be until 2023 at this point. So... Just kind of see what happens. Um, mm. I appreciate it, Quincy. Man, that was that was mm. a really good question. Does seventeen games seem like a, like way more than sixteen this year? Yes, or is it just me. For yes, some reason, like, I, like it just seems like it seems like it's almost like five extra games this year. Yes, it's it's crazy, and I I, I feel like this is the kind of take that Landry normally kill me kill me for. But like I, I understand that we, we can all appreciate an extra NFL weekend, but I I would be really curious how many individual fan bases want their team to play the extra game? Like how many Lions, Texans, Jets, Jaguar fans are like, yeah, I want to see another game of what I've seen. Or like at the top of the league, does a Bucks fan want another regular season game, a Packer fan? No, they probably want to just get to the playoffs at this point. Yeah, I was I was looking at the the schedule 
for you know for these Twitter spaces for the rest of the you know rest of the regular season and it was all the way out to January 11th. So yeah, it feels like feels like I mean we only have five games left, but it still feels like and we're still got bye weeks for that matter. So it feels like it's definitely an extended process, and it's probably just because of the bad season makes it seem like a really long season too. I think that's a strong contributing factor. Yeah. Getting a lot, getting some more questions on DM or more complaints than anything. <laughs> more keep compl- them going. Keep, keep them going. Potential head coaches you would like to see if Coley is fired. Also, what do you think? McDaniels. New- McDaniels. Do you think a new head coach would bring Deshaun back into the fold? No. Yeah. I think that ship has long since sailed. I don't think there's anything that can be done to bring back Watson into the fold. So McDaniel's for 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 Landry right off the bat. Ooh, that would be a t- that would be a tough sell for some fans because that just re- reinvigorates that whole New England South mantra that gets thrown around out there. So that's not- fair. But I would my my counter if I were. If I were to counter them, I would say, what do you think of the Colts organization? And they would say, oh, I like Chris Ballard. I like the way they do things. And I would say, oh, that was their first choice ahead of Frank Reich. So Patriot Southeast nuts. Man, that's three times. I'm going to have to put the E filter, the the E tag on this one. (laughs) That's PG. That is PG. That is true. It well, why not, why not, it, it, uh, as long as nobody's listening to the podcast on you know on the way to school with their kids, then we'll be fine. Why not hire Byron Leftwich? I like Byron. I like Byron a lot. Right, big fan. He's done a good job. Good offense. I mean, I know it's Brady, it's, but it's, still, he's worked his way up. You think Vance Joseph gets another run at head coach? Uh, mate, I, I think he. I think he might. I don't know about here necessarily, but in general, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if Todd Bowles gets another shot at it. Uh, he's done an excellent job, obviously. Um, I like Don Martindale, the Ravens defensive coordinator. Uh, Dayball's out there. Obviously, he has ties with Patriots people. Uh, he's not looking too good so far. Had another name. Had another name thrown at me. And I don't know if he, this guy, this this person, would be ready for head coach duty. But uh, uh, Clint Kubiak. Clint Kubiak. Of oh, no, that's, that, no, that's that's too. I think that's too early. I, I agree. That was you that's know too early. somebody. It, one uh, trying to was I heard that too at Fifth Ward Crenshaw, Clint Kubiak as a potential potential head coach option. Oh, all right. Let's see, we're sixteen minutes past. Oh, look, man, we're getting more requests. All right, we'll keep going. Keep Just going. Little, keep them going. Keep them flowing. Keep them I mean, flowing. Who, who needs sleep, right? It's ten forty, bro. Well, we, not everybody like 11. not everybody well, starts cap, work at ten cap. o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, Cap, unlike uh, Landry. Try 7, try a, 7 a.m., sir. <laughs> I don't just show up and talk, Cap, you disrespectful <laughs> jerk. All right, let's go to Jermaine. Jermaine. Still, still can, oh, there he is. All right, Jermaine, what's going on, man? Not much. How y'all doing, fellas? Good. What's up, man? Nothing much. Um, to me, I, I think the whole situation is uh, the bean counters, as they call them. The guys that's counting the empty seats in the stadium, that's going to put pressure on the organization to do the right thing. And that might be part of the reason why Casario is changing his tune as well. <clears throat> because the, the stadium has been empty for quite some time. 
for every home game. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Yeah, no, that that's a very yeah, very a bad point. perception on the organization at this point in time. I mean, you, we see it on the TV. We see different different media folk take picture, take and post pictures to social media. We see folks, you know, post, posting pictures of of the uh, you know like Stephen Holder who who's a Indianapolis uh, covers the Colts for the Athletic. You know, he posted the picture of of the tailgating lot, and it was just it was just blank empty. You know, and you know, you see all those things and that stuff's out there on social media and, and out there in the reports. And it's just a very bad look for the team on top of, on top of losing. And that, you know, it kind of goes back to what, what Quincy was talking about. You know, there's been other teams that's had bad years, but the, the stadium still probably kind of at least sold out or, or still had a strong crowd presence, strong tailgating presence, but the Texans just don't have anything on the, of any sort of a fan base at this yeah. point in time. Just think about it. If, if they were still black in our games, <laughs> we'd have about five. Oh, man, five we would need Mattress Mac come back to the rescue again, buying out tickets to keep the games from being blacked out like he used to do back in the day. Yeah, I think, right. I think it's an excellent point by Jermaine because, uh, as they say, the opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. And there is a lot of indifference and apathy that's happening right now. Yeah. Right. And uh, one more thing. Yeah. One more thing. Uh, I think with the the draft that we got, the capital that we have, you got to build through the trenches. Of course, we got to find a quarterback. But if there is none, you work on your offensive line, your defensive line, and you get a corner, and you kind of keep building it. How we seem to see how the Seahawks do it. They they built around until they got Russell, and when they got Russell. They put him right in, and everything got to going. Yeah, and they kind of lucked into Russell, too. You know, I mean, that was – I don't even think they had that planned, really, and it ended up working out for him. I'm with you, though. Hutchinson or Thibodeau are the two names that everyone's talking about, and that's why if the Texans can uh, get one of those top two picks, I think you're going to probably see one of those two guys as the the target, I would say. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I would. I would agree. Yeah, at, at this point, it you know the part that I'm really looking forward to, at least for my my geek my geek side of things, is the roster building and how Casario values positional, or or what his positional value assessment is, especially concerning pass rush versus coverage. You know, we we see that debate out there quite a bit all the time. You know, whether he's going to pay pay pass rushers or is he going to pay for a cornerback in, in free agency and how much money and if he if he follows you know the new england path or they didn't really want to pay wide receivers bill o'brien didn't want to pay wide receivers and be curious to see if casario follows the same path as well i don't you know i don't think they're going to be in the market too much for a wide receiver in 2022 2023 i think that's when it's going to come about but it'll just be interesting as a whole to see how what his positional values are and how he utilizes an adequate or even a very strong amount of draft capital. I think he's going to maneuver quite a bit in the draft, just like we saw this past year down back up every which way. So, you know, it's, it's exciting for me, at least from that standpoint, Jermaine, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say real quick. Um, 
it'll be interesting to see how Nick Casario approaches that first pick, whether it's two, three, I guess there's a chance at one, just because if I was Casario, you don't want to approach things too conservatively, but like the roster is in such a shape that I, I'd, I'd look at that pick and I'd, I'd be thinking to myself, like, yes, you want, you want the best player like always, but I really want to make sure that that player who I pick has a pretty high floor. Like I really need to come away with that pick with someone who is a well above average NFL starter, considering the state of this roster right now. Yeah. And if, if they end up with multiple ones, you know, hopefully they'll utilize some of the other ones to maybe initiate some kind of trade back, accumulate more picks, more, more drafts, you know, more darts at the board kind of thing. Go with quantity at this point. I mean, cause it doesn't sound like this draft is going to be quite as top heavy as past drafts. You know, you're still going to have, you know, the safety, I think it's Mitchell and then and then Thibodeau and, and Hutchison are going to you know, probably be your top three. And then after that, you know, once you get down to those picks five, six, seven, and eight, that's where you can really maneuver because I think there's a, a glut of talent in that, you know, that's pick seven down to 20, late 20s range. You can do a lot of maneuvering in there and probably accumulate some extra draft picks on top of that. All right. I think we're going to call it a night. Wow. Hates the people. Yes. <laughs> Landry. Man, I appreciate I appreciate the discussion, guys. It's you know, we did an hour and twenty two minutes. It's that's a, a new record for us. We had I think a hundred and one listeners at some point at, at various points throughout tonight. So, you know, definitely one of the more popular episodes that we've had in a couple of weeks now. So I really appreciate y'all taking the time as always to come on here with me and, and have these discussions and, you know, hopefully we can get y'all guys back one of these past few weeks, you know, next coming weeks before the end of the season, before I take a little break. So once again, thank you as always. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Rock and roll. That's the way to top it off Landry. All right. Well, with that, we'll shut it down. Cap and trade another episode in the books. Everyone have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you.